Welcome to the Strength Matters Podcast, episode 15. Seb, what is that? Is that your phone? Sorry, man, I'm doing a podcast. I can't turn it right Get back here, you're so unprofessional. Welcome to the Strength Matters Podcast, where it's all about health, fitness, nutrition, movement, rehabilitation, your stories, and everything else in between. And taking you through this epic journey, your hosts, the lovers of lifting heavy things, Seb and Josh. And welcome to the Strength Matters Podcast, the trusted source for health and fitness education. My name is Seb Morgan, and he is... Josh Kennedy. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing good, mate. I see you got your voice back this week, all... Raring to go again. With a vengeance. With a vengeance. Awesome. By the way, is your mum going to phone again? <laughs> Call him back? That was inopportunistic, wasn't it? That's my mother. <laughs> it is indeed. Mega stuff. Um, what's been happening with you? How are you doing? I'm doing good, mate. I uh, I don't know if I'm going to say this. All right, I will. I will. I met the uh, the girlfriend's parents last week. Well, not just her parents, actually half her family. It was, it was good. They don't hate me before you say it. They're a lovely bunch of people. So they're crazy. Yeah, they're off their absolute rockers. They're special. Their absolute, yeah, special in a really good way, though. Kind of like the Hills Have Eyes family. <laughs> uh, no, not not quite. No. Yeah, but they're you would lo- say that because you were probably drugged or something and then yeah, you spread your days in some sort of surreal atmosphere. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I did feel a little bit weird and lightheaded, but maybe that was the alcohol, perhaps. I don't okay. know. <laughs> <laughs> cool beats. Welcome to all our listeners, guys. If you are an old school listener, thank you very much for coming to join us again. And if you have a new listener, hello. Welcome. Have welcome you along. Out, Lovely to have you. Thank you very much. Have you checked out all our other podcasts? You can find them on iTunes, where you can also leave us reviews. Um, you can also hear us on Stitcher and SoundCloud, but as well as on the kettlebellfever.com website, where you do have a breakdown of what each episode contains so what are we going to talk about today first off we want to say thank you for sending us pictures hashtag strength matters Some our great picture pictures. of the week let me just uh grab it but we could do have a picture it's of a, the week. a bottom-up kettlebell double press, bottom-up kettlebell double, press double. by sarah smith of galway kettlebells it's a fantastic little press and you're standing there just smiling as well doing it so thank you guys keep them coming we did have some videos as well which are great but also there's uh, a picture from roger isn't there that's uh that you put on that you put on oh, Facebook. Oh yeah, but I'll, t- I think. I'll tell you about that afterwards. Oh, okay, really cool, a picture cool. Of the day. Um, Strength Matters magazine coming Strength. in September. We're very excited. Very excited. We got some new details about that. Uh, well, we've heard the new details about it, and it's sounding amazing. So, if you haven't heard about it, if you want to know more, if you want to find out who are going to be the regular writers, we've got some I, amazing authors. So, I uh, you, sign up. You get to the Kettlebell Fever website and you enter your details and enter your interest in finding out more, guys, because uh, these regular writers are really our top industry or top class industry folks absolutely every month you're going to get that also the summit the strength matters summit tickets are flying off the shelves guys they are really selling out very well okay um it's not gonna be a gimmick guys we're gonna have some great speakers basically nearly everybody we've had on a podcast perry nicholson roger mccarthy mike chisholm uh andrew reed andrew reed um um uh mj nutrition i think we haven't had him on the podcast uh but ben coomber's there we have on the podcast ray edwards if you haven't heard the ray edwards podcast guys listen to that one listen to it it's gonna be fantastic fantastic where can they sign up for that seb we're going to sign up for that. They can sign up at the attend strengthmatters.com website. Awesome. All the details are there as well as a list of all the speakers, guys. So have a look for all the 
ones we didn't mention. We also want to say congratulations to Rich Fronin, who has just won the 2014 CrossFit Games. Fourth year in a row, I but think it is, isn't it? Well done. That's so awesome a, achievement. Well done, Rich. Fantastic. A huge congratulations to Rich. But something we want to talk about uh, regarding that, and it's gone around on Facebook a little bit. Um, yeah. Deadlifting. The deadlifting. Deadlifting. The deadlifting. The deadlifting. Um, we're not, we're not, um, just to be clear, we're not completely bashing CrossFit here because there are some great CrossFitters. Like we just said, Rich Fronin, great technique and everything he's done. Fantastic. We're not bashing CrossFit. And what, we're, what we're talking about is the technique that yeah, it's some, technique. some, some individuals people. did. Yeah. Um, for anyone who's interested in what we're on about, there's a video on YouTube and we just watched this of an individual at the CrossFit Games performing a deadlift. Now, it was a. Well, I can't even say it wasn't even the greatest because that tends to give you the idea of it was possibly okay-ish. It was Look, poor I, I'm going to be honest, honest wasn't it? Was it was goddamn really bad. awful. It, yeah. made, it made me sit, you know, made yeah. my stomach turn quite a bit. She was stumbling yeah. all over the place, hitching it, the bar with her leg. It, it was messy, okay? Yeah. It was messy. The clip then goes to a guy, and this is his video, so he's edited this himself, okay? And it goes to a guy who's a powerlifter, not a professional, but a competitive powerlifter in, in a sense, uh, performing a deadlift. His technique going from the ground up was Fantastic. solid. Okay, yep. really good. It was a heavy, heavy bar. All right. So yeah, it was a grind. It was slow. He got it all the way up and then he puts the bar down. Now he doesn't drop it. Okay. He controls Again, it. Again, hinges the hips. It was to, great. To a sense, he yep. controls it down, but it was classed as a no lift because, and as he describes, he hit the floor too hard. Yep. So technically not 100% as controlled as you could be with a heavy weight. Yep. Um, he then has a little bit of a chat afterwards and he's not he's not trying to be like, oh, that's so unfair, I got disqualified. He's given his own opinion of the two different things. Anyway, guys, get on YouTube, have a little look. Um, but to everybody who did compete, and again, to Rich Froning, congratulations, great work. Uh, keep yeah. up the good work, guys. Also, uh, the deadlifting in heels video. Again, that's been oh, going, the deadlifting yes, in heels. Yes, because again, we're not, we're not bashing people, but we are here to educate well, and this help is, you. Why would you deadlift in heels? This why? is why, well, look, let's explain where we got this from. This is yep. why we were talking about um, that deadlift. We were looking at deadlift videos on YouTube. Um, some of you, most of you have probably seen this, but if not, this is a joke. Check it out, guys, on YouTube. Just type in deadlift in heels failure. What you see are some uh, some ladies in the gym uh, somewhere in the US or Canada or I don't know, whatever, uh, performing deadlifts. But yeah. they're doing it in a three-quarter length skirt. Tight tight dresses. Tight yep. dress. Yes, tight dress. They're wearing high heels. i got to admit, they are quite cute. Yeah, fair, fair. Not the heels, fair the ladies. Yeah. Okay, that's my opinion. <laughs> but... Um, and so the first lady, she's doing deadlifts, and there's another one, another lady walking around her, poking her with a stick like that. Oh, okay. oh that was too hard. So as, <laughs> as she's deadlifted, she's being poked with a stick. Now, it's all fun and games, stupid fun and games, okay? And I can laugh at that. You know. I've... Thankfully, they didn't have too much weight on the bar when they were doing that, thank God. But then God. her friend has a go, and she does yeah. one deadlift, puts the bar down, puts more weight on, puts more weight on, puts more And she's Keeps going, and she's smiling, and she's laughing. Heels, yeah. right? And... You see the video in slow-mo because they replay in slow-mo. Oh, my oh, God. How she doesn't break her ankle, I have got no idea. Well, it's like you know what? folds I'd, in half. I'd it? say zero, zero, right. I don't yeah. care. That's a stupid idea. Look, if you're deadlifting in heels, okay, you take what you're given. All right? yeah, stop it, basically. You are an absolute <laughs> lizard special creatures crawling <laughs> on you barely you, you're disgusted all right it's stupid don't do it guys if you do it you deserve what you're given i ain't gonna cry for you i'm probably nope. gonna laugh at you as you're on the floor <laughs> weeping in tears crawling away okay yep. please uh, do not do it um so today's interview we're gonna be talking to the living legend himself steve maxwell um 
Steve is known all around the world. Steve travels all around the world. Steve has no home. He, he just travels. <laughs> he is he is the health and fitness hobo. He is. He is. Uh, and you call him a hobo, don't you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He took it in good spirits. It's all good. Um, but such a lovely guy to talk to as well. He's got a huge passions in mobility and movement, as well as strength training. And as we find out, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Mixed Martial Arts, and the original UFC. Um, yep. So stay tuned, listening, guys, to that. Um, take some notes on board. He gives some great information. And after the interview, stay tuned as well to find out some more information we've got for... Swings for limbs. Swings for limbs. I always get them confused. That's why I let you say it. What, limbs for swings? Yes, limbs for swings. <laughs> that's what I say. That is yeah. swings for limbs. Yeah, we've got some information coming up about that at the end. Okay, so here we go, guys. Here is the Strength Matters podcast interview with the living legend, Steve Maxwell. And finally, we are here with Steve Maxwell. Steve, how are you? I am doing great, gentlemen. Beautiful British weather, man. It is gorgeous, isn't it? Fantastic. This, uh, if this global warming keeps up, this is going to be the new Hawaii right here. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I although know. most of London might be underwater then. Are we, are we <laughs> higher ground here, Jim? Are we all right? Oh, no, we're near the Thames, are well, we? No, because if you look outside the studio window, we've got basically <laughs> yeah, we've got a, a, a stream that leads to the Thames right behind us. So we're one of the first to go anyway. Oh, well done. It. So, Steve, where are you in the world at the moment? Uh, I am in Stockton, uh, UK. Um a little town outside of Manchester, uh, quite quite a beautiful little place. And uh, I'm doing a seminar this Sunday at the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Training Association in uh, Starkport. And Steve Maxwell, a huge fan of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which we will talk about. How long, though, at the moment are you here in the UK? Where do you go next? What's happening for Steve Maxwell in the next couple of weeks? I'm leaving from here to San Antonio, Texas. Yeehaw! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> loving the yeehaw loving it yeah <laughs> anytime you're in the deep south or uh in the southwest and you get out of the car and you hear yeehaw I better get back in that car and take off <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> as a welshman i'll remember that <laughs> awesome. so uh, i'm actually doing the uh the the rev gear uh, uh mixed martial art expo they're, they're um a company that makes the one of the biggest manufacturers of equipment for mixed martial arts for training and also uh, uniforms, uh, you know everything apparel. Uh, they they are doing these uh, expos now, where an educational uh, expo where they actually showcase products and also classes and and seminars for people to go and and uh, and learn how to use this stuff. So I'm actually teaching uh, some kettlebells and uh, doing some mobility work and a uh, medicine ball. So that should be a lot of fun. That sounds like great. Cool. Fun. If, I mean, if I was free, I'd love to come up there and uh, have a look myself. Uh, but for people who may not be too sure, who may be hiding under a rock for a very long time, <laughs> can you give us a, a very quick breakdown or some information on who and what is Steve Maxwell? Well, I'm an old dude trying to stay young. <laughs> You're doing a pretty You're good job. You're not doing too bad, Steve, to be honest, mate. I think you put a lot of us to shame. I'm uh, 61. I've been training for a half a century, actually more than a half a century. I started as a young boy, a 10-year-old kid in my father's basement in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Carlisle was uh, just a few miles from York, PA, which was the Olympic weightlifting mecca of the world at that time. Everyone thinks of Bulgaria or Russia or you know some Eastern European country. Uh, back in the day, York, Pennsylvania was the Olympic lifting mecca. And like a lot of young kids, I started barbell training uh, 
and was uh, tutored actually by America's last world champion in Olympic weightlifting, Robert Benarski. When I was 12 years old, I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a physical educator. The people I admired most were my coaches and my teachers. In the States, uh, unlike Europe, all of the uh, sports programs are done through the school system, uh, even at the university level. Uh, all, all sports are, are conducted through the school. And uh, the people that I really, really admired and wanted to be like, uh, in particular, my wrestling coach. And I said, man, you know, when I get old enough, I'd like to teach and coach wrestling and so forth. And sure enough, I did. I graduated from university and started teaching in the public school system just outside, outside of Philadelphia by the airport circle in Philly. But I quickly discovered that uh, children are a tough way to make a living. They're pretty energy intensive. Uh, I had always had part-time jobs in various gyms, even when I was going to university, and even when teaching school during the summer when you know when the kids have off, uh, I'd be working in the local gym. I worked at the very first Nautilus gym in uh, Pennsylvania. It might have been the first one in the Eastern Seaboard. It's called Huff and Puff Gym. Mostly uh, <laughs> Nautilus-type uh, equipment and barbell training and so forth. And uh, this is when the uh, the Arthur Jones high-intensity training system was uh, very much in vogue. And uh, for anyone that doubts that uh, that system is viable or, or thinks it doesn't work, you know, think again. That was a pretty effective system. The problem was it's just so damn hard. <laughs> you what? really, really trained hard. Well, that kind but, of the idea of the, the high intensity has made a huge comeback, well, hmm. especially here in the UK within the last 12 months. Well, it, it's a system that really works, and it certainly leaves a lot of time for other things. But uh, to make a long story short, you know, after working in the, the adult fitness industry for, for many years, uh, I finally opened up my own dream gym I called Maxercise uh, in 1990 in Center City, Philadelphia. And uh, I ran that gym. It was also... It was the, one of many first. It was, uh, it was the first kettlebell gym in the United States. I, I started teaching um, kettlebell classes before anybody else did. Um, I had collaborated uh, briefly with Pavel, and we came up with the concept of creating the RKC, which was usually popular here in the UK and pretty much all over the world, and um, started teaching group kettlebell classes as the very first guy to do so. And uh, it was also the first Brazilian jiu-jitsu academy on the eastern seaboard. Even before the great Henzo Gracie and these other guys, the Steve Maxwell, and uh, it, it was uh, a you know long term love affair uh, with grappling and, and, and jujitsu, and I basically made my avocation into my vocation. Mm. Beginning it was just something I just did for fun, and then it, you know I just graduated into making it a full time profession. And then uh, 2005, you know things happen uh, in life, uh, uh, divorce. Uh, working with your significant other uh, in the same gym and running a business together plus kids, that can be pretty wearing on any relationship. And uh, ours certainly did not stand that stress. And we parted uh, around 2005. And I sold the gym. And uh, I had always wanted to uh, just basically be a vagabond. A, you know, I wanted to be a nomad. So I moved into a camper van and lived in my my nifty little camper van for almost three years driving eight times coast to coast usa just wow. wandering about having a great time 
And I started to realize that, uh, hey, you know, there is a market for information. This is an information age. And I had plenty of it. I had spent a lot of time in the trenches, uh, both bus- the, the, the fitness of business, the fitness of martial arts, as well as practical how-to knowledge and had made many, many, many uh, discoveries, mostly through trial and error. Uh, of course, you know, my, my greatest learning came from my mistakes. And I realized people were willing to pay me for that information. So I started doing the seminar circuit. I started with just one innocent seminar. The boys are back in town. And, uh, you know, one thing just led to another, which led to another. Before I knew it, uh, I was just putting strings of of seminars together. And, uh, you know, I figure like, well, here I'm in the UK. And then, you know, another guy contacts me and then another guy. And before you know it, you're just bouncing around uh, right here. And that's just the way it's built. My life now uh, is pretty much uh, predicated on full-time travel. I own no house. I own no car. I have no condominium or apartment. Everything I own is in one 65-liter bag, which is like a 24 by 16 by 12 inches deep. <laughs> and um, all my life's belongings weigh just a little under uh, 16 kilograms. <laughs> my God. Wow. And uh, I prefer it that way. It's very liberating. And, uh, you know, I said to my girlfriend the other day, you know, I, I don't have a key to any lock. You know, I don't need any keys because I don't have anything to lock up. <laughs> you know, pretty much everything I carry. And I don't use one of those dorky, silly bags with wheels. You know, try dragging those around through the snowstorm or try, <laughs> <laughs> try taking them up uh, the tube in London, man, dragging a freaking uh, oh, roller. Oh, uh, they get, yeah. Yeah. you usually oh, end up trying uh, to step on people's or, bags almost. Or sort of dirt mud. road or in mud or in, you know, in cobblestones, you know, like a lot of the old European cities have these big old cobblestones. Yeah. So I, I have a, a convertible uh, pack that uh, I didn't want to look like one of those uh, Euro trash kids running around <laughs> <laughs> with a backpack. You know, like a camper, but no, it's a really nifty uh, bag that converts into a like a backpack. I can wear it, and I figure, hey man, if it feels too heavy to carry around, then I just have too much stuff. I need to get rid of some crap. So, I uh, I I wear my worldly possessions on my back as it should be. And <laughs> I just awesome. go from place to place, man, and it's a really cool lifestyle, very liberating. I make my living on the internet doing online personal training and diet programs. My clients range from uh, business VIPs and CEOs to just regular housewives and, and, and businessmen. Uh, I have a lot of uh, athletes and jiu-jitsu guys, as you can imagine, after spending what I got my black belt in 2000 and started training in jiu-jitsu in 1989. So I don't know how many years is that. It's a long time, yeah? More than 20, 23 years, yeah? More than I can count. So that's my life, man. It's uh, it's been a very interesting life thus far. I feel like I've sounds, really, sounds amazing. Yeah, it's a really interesting life. You're you're basically kind of like the modern day hobo instead of tra- <laughs> well, instead of traveling is, across yeah. America in the yeah. back of trains, you're traveling around the world on planes. Yeah, yeah, pretty uh, much. But how do you? Because um, 
you know, one, one of the things uh, a lot of people now are really getting into regarding health and fitness and working with clients or students and such is the effects of stress. Now we have stress of work, stress of life, stress uh, of training, stress of eating, stress of training. And of course, I can imagine traveling around the world into different time zones um, could be massively stressful. But as you said, you're 61 years old and you not only put... Uh, well, you put a lot of health and fitness people to shame, but you put basically the majority of people into shame, especially kids. I mean, yeah, Steve, absolutely. you look better than most, you know, I say teenagers or young 20-year-old guys who do go to the gym, let alone people who sit at home committing slow suicide in front of the TV. <laughs> how do you... How do you, uh, how does, does it affect you at all in any way? All the traveling you're doing and the work and as a time zone hopping and as well as nutrition, not being able to maybe prepare your own meals in a kitchen for a week. How does this all affect you in any way? Well, my head's getting big. So, uh, you know, you guys are quickly becoming my favorite guys, man. Thanks for the <laughs> <laughs> But uh, in, 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 in truth, it, it's not as stressful as what you think. One of the, one of the things, the, uh, one of the underlying causes of so much stress in modern society is people have forgotten how to breathe. Every baby in this world is born breathing diaphragmatically. And people very quickly as they reach uh, school age and are forced to sit in chairs, usually around five, six years old, seven years old, and forced to sit in chairs, they lose the ability to breathe through the diaphragm. And they're what we refer to as upper chest breathers. So the breathing into the upper rib cage, which is a, a form of stressful breathing, the upper uh, clavicles, chest, and neck muscles are only for emergencies. That's emergency only. So mm -hmm. the body does not uh, does not understand the difference between a real emergency and this uh, per this perceived emergency. Just by virtue of breathing in the upper chest, it it signals to the body that it's under stress. And it begins to to uh, manufacture stress hormones, so it, it puts people in in a chronic stress state, so that they can't relax. They feel anxious. They don't even know why. Yeah. And of course, there may be uh, a lot. And the you know the, the 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 system can't differentiate between emotional type stresses and things. Let's say from job responsibilities, family responsibilities. Uh, you know, problems or uh, difficulties with the significant other and so forth. Uh, all of these affect stress levels. And if one doesn't know how to breathe, it's exacerbated tenfold. And they literally are living in chronic stress 24-7. Yeah. And it's a terrible situation to be in. So would you say so that most people the, need, to, need to relearn how to breathe then as, a, as a, just a simple they need starting to, point? Breathe, learn how to breathe. And it's interesting because Master Hicks and Gracie, uh, and for those of, of those of your listeners that don't know who he is, he's the greatest expression of jiu-jitsu the world has ever seen. Uh, he's, he's absolutely amazing. You can see his videos on YouTube. And is, isn't it kind of a, I mean, I don't want to go off too much at the moment because this breathing is fantastic. I'm a big fan of crocodile breathing. But is it true Hickson would never refuse a fight? That is correct. And <laughs> interestingly wicked. enough, uh, now that he's uh, back on the seminar circuit, uh, one of the things he does is he spends the first hour, hour and a half teaching the students how to breathe because he realizes that any jiu-jitsu based on a faulty foundation is doomed to failure. So if people are learning movement patterns and things based on bad breathing, uh, everything about their game is going to be off just a little bit. So he breaks it down and starts with the most 
foundational thing of all, the breath, the, the first thing you did when you came into this world. Mm. And so for myself, I've, I've studied breathing and I've taught myself how to breathe. I, you know, I, I didn't know myself for years. Wish I would have known this stuff back when I was a young wrestler in university and so forth. But um, it keeps you calm. You yeah. can really calm your nerves and, and reduce stress through the breath. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, myself and Seb have had years ago had training on how to breathe, so we know how to do it. But I think that's a great tip for any personal trainer, to be honest. It's, well, it's, uh, it's funny you mentioned actually, because last night on TV, The Incredible Hulk was on. And if anybody who knows uh, jiu-jitsu or doesn't know jiu-jitsu, and you just mentioned Hicks and Gracie, one of the very first scenes is Hicks and Gracie teaching uh, Edward Norton's character, um, Banner, who turns into the Hulk when he's raging, how to breathe and relax during breathing. And uh, you, you see um, Hicks and Gracie on, uh, sitting on the floor cross-legged. He's doing a, an abdominal breathing exercise. And it's like, his stomach is like a wave machine. <laughs> and it goes in and out. And it's amazing. That technique is called abdominal churning, and it's used in Ayurvedic medicine and uh, yo the, the uh, yogic practices. And it's like a massage for the internal organs. And uh, he couples that with the, uh, the nausea breathing. He, he does the, uh, the, the rapid breath of fire, or, or some people refer to it as Bella's breath. And uh, this is one of uh, 13 different pranayamic techniques that you can do from that kind of uh, cross-leg meditation. But a person doesn't have to get deep into it like that. All they just really need to know how to do is to bring the breath down into the lower lobes of the lungs where yeah, the calming receptors are. And there's a real myth about deep breathing, like taking big breaths. It's actually sipping the air and taking shallow breaths that are the most oxygenating and the most calming. Mm -hmm. The idea of trying to fill the lungs or fill the tank is, is, a, is, uh, is incorrect. You actually get less oxygenation and uh, create more stress. Yeah, because I can remember my early days of uh, sports and competing. Coaches would say, breathe deep into your lungs. It will expand your lungs. Therefore, you can get more breath in. And that is incorrect. Uh, these free divers are real experts of that, uh, too. And, oh, uh, they, they're, they're they, amazing. Absolutely they, amazing. They, they, know, they, are, they, they know a lot about oxygenation of the tissues and how to get the most from each breath and so forth. Yeah, they, do they have to like uh, slow their heart rates down and stuff? Are they able to do that? Do well, know, just, you know? just controlling your breath slows your heart rate down. You can prove that by uh, – I, I use an app on my iPhone. Another yeah. thing I do is I, I actually check my pulse every morning when I first wake up, my morning resting pulse rate. Uh, if the resting pulse rate is elevated six or beats higher than your norm, mm -hmm. then you're getting sick and that you haven't recovered from your previous day's workout and or – you're just really you've just been stressed, you know, with maybe the stresses of travel and so forth. So you're better off just resting that particular day. It's a very good training tool for your listeners to use. That's you just really take cool. your pulse every single morning for a week, and I'm assuming that they're not already overtrained. Yeah. And you take it when you first open your eyes and you're still relaxed. Uh, you don't want to get up and stir, and you certainly don't want to think about the day's activities or thinking about training or anything because your heart rate will immediately start to jump up. Mm -hmm. And then you slow your pulse by slowing your breath, and you try to get as low as possible. Put your finger on the camera lens, and then it will record. And then you have your – your day. Uh, uh, in that way, you can figure out your average over a week. And then any particular day, you take it, and it's elevated, six or more beats, 
for sure you should not have any kind of strenuous activities that day. If it's like three or four beats, maybe just take it easy that day, you know, and don't push yourself too much. But this was a technique that was pioneered by the Eastern Europeans. And it's it's a very, very good way of like a little uh, window inside your body to see what's happening with your systemic recovery and so forth. That's cool. Uh, a lot of guys, that. especially grapplers, you know, they tend to be uh, notorious for overtraining because, you know, it's so much fun to roll around in the floor in your pajamas with your brothers, <laughs> you know, you just want to do it all the time. Yeah. But the problem is, you know, like any, like anything, you know, there, there can be too much. So you need to make sure that you get your rest and your recovery and your recuperation. That's probably one of the least understood aspects of all training. You do not get stronger from and more muscular from eating protein. You get stronger, more muscular from training and you do not get, stronger from the training itself but from the rest in between each bout of exercise or training that's where the real magic happens that's where the body makes its adaptation interfere with that by trying to do more and more and more then you're just always in a chronic state of fatigue or chronic state of stress and your resting pulse rate in the morning is a perfect mirror or window into that so that you can directly uh, monitor am i recovering Yeah, and I think that's a big thing here in the UK, again, is a lot of people just want to train, 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 train hard or go home, train, train, train. Well, actually, you know, we talk about hit, 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 you know. But, you know, the the type of people who definitely know about what you're speaking about are athletes, and Mm. especially, and a passion of yours, and a passion of mine as well, being a Brazilian jiu-jitsu player, also is fighters. Um, Now, we discussed this before, the last time we spoke, but you had an involvement in the original, you know, one of the applicable kind of fight scenes, the original, the number one UFC. Well, it was a really interesting the way that came up. Uh, Jorge and Gracie uh, started uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu back in the late 80s. And um, he opened the Gracie Academy around 1990. I had just started around 89. They were still in their garage at that time. And uh, he uh, wanted to showcase what he found was that, especially in the United States, people really had no clue what to do on the ground. And if you got clinched and you went down, they were pretty much helpless. And he wanted to showcase the strengths of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and just how futile it is for a striker to try to fight a Jiu-Jitsu man, especially once the fight has gone to the floor. You're pretty much a goner. And uh, to prove that, he decided to create a tournament where no holds were barred. And this, if you look at those early UFCs, everything was going. First of all, he didn't want to artificially make the fist stronger because the, fi- the hand can break quite easy. So he didn't allow any gloves or any type of wraps or coverings on the hand to artificially make the fist harder and stronger so it can withstand punches. And that was that was that was huge right there. And you could strike in the testicles, you could elbow in the back of the neck and the head, oh you could you you could headbutt, you could hit with the point of the elbow, You're you biting. could stomp you could stomp a man on the ground. Uh, I mean you could body slam, you could there was nothing that was barred. It was brutal. <laughs> and uh, there were some serious injuries in the first one. Teeth getting knocked out. Uh, well, I think, I think uh, there's two broken hands and so forth. But anyway, 
the the whole concept was to showcase the strength of jiu-jitsu in a no-holds-barred atmosphere. No time limits. The fight just went on to someone quit or couldn't continue. Horan came to his his students and uh, tried to see if anyone was interested in investing in this. And my ex-wife and I were one of the first to actually put our money into the into the tournament. We had a savings and we we had so much faith in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and Horan and Gracie that we gave our money to that first UFC event. And uh, and then the rest was history, man. He he purposely picked Hoyce, who was one of the uh, smaller, thinner, not particularly stronger athletic brothers. And uh, he, he showed just what uh, a man could do. I mean, at first they were going to, they were thinking about Hickson, but, you know, Hickson was such a specimen. Of, I mean, such a remarkable physical person. People would say, oh, well, that's Hickson. And, you know, he, he he can make it work, but I couldn't. But Horian felt that when people would see Hoyce and they say, "Wow, if that if that kind of thin, skinny guy can can do that, well, I have a chance too." And it, it was really remarkable how Hoyce went through that tournament. It's pretty frightening, really, when you when you saw the likes of Ken Shamrock in the speedo, looking like this ripped, muscular killer guy. He, and, he was an, a monster. I mean, the best, if nobody knows in his day, the best way to describe Ken Shamrock, who only fought uh, in a pair of very skinny red Speedos, <laughs> is if you get one huge mountain made of muscle and put it next to another huge mountain made of muscle, that's half of Ken Shamrock. <laughs> and I mean, just the fact he was wearing Speedos was scary enough. <laughs> Definitely. I, I, think, I think what you said, you know, it kind of proved a point. Um, because Hoist Gracie was the smallest guy there. I mean, you had a you had a sumo a sumo wrestler, a sumo fighter who was huge. Oh no, it was, oh, it was a Hawaiian sumo fighter. Uh, and all these Taylor, guys, Taylor Tully. Yeah, who who lost the tooth? And I think that was when the first time everybody realized, whoa, this is serious. Where he received a kick or a foot right in the face, and his tooth went halfway across the <laughs> mat. Uh, and Kem Shamrock was definitely the smallest, not Ken, sorry, uh, Hoist Gracie, was definitely the smallest guy there. And when it was him and Shamrock in the ring together, the case guy, you just must have thought, well, he's going to get ripped in two. He's going to get eaten alive. So what was, right uh, what was Shamrock's speciality? Shamrock was uh, more of a kind of submission fighter. Okay. Yeah, he was a submission wrestler and uh, shoot uh, fighter that okay. they did in uh, uh, Japan. And they, they did uh, full contact uh, punching and submissions. And um, there was it was uh, it was interesting because he had some really nifty leg locks and uh, you know heel hooks and you know mm. those, mm. those type of uh, knee and foot submissions. Which and are was, devastating as well. Those type of things you got just a little bit of pressure can really put somebody out for a long time, if not ever. I was Hoyce's conditioning coach for those first couple UFCs that he was fighting in, and uh, I was quite nervous. To tell you the truth, is I mean, I had a lot of confidence in Gracie Jiu Jitsu, but man, when you see a guy like that, it's pretty scary. Yeah, but, he was uh, yeah the, the rest is uh, history. And the other interesting thing to note is without the gloves, you just didn't see the ground and pound like you do nowadays. You can't just blindly punch a guy, let's say, in the street or even in those early UFCs without causing serious damage to your hands and your fingers. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've injured my, my fist before, and it's really a painful injury. And nowadays, with the advent of the gloves, it changed the entire fight. Truth be known, if you took those gloves off and went back to the early days, you would see grapplers win probably about 90% in my estimation of most of the fights. 
But the problem would be it would be boring for the crowd. They want to see the spectacular knockouts. Yeah, they yeah, like to see yeah. the blood. You know, the, the, usually these crowds are, are alcohol uh, fueled, uh, fueled, <laughs> frenzied, and um, you know, it's 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 usually. I've been to a lot of the live events, even some of the recent ones. It's a pretty ugly affair. Usually, <laughs> you're better off at home, guys. <laughs> Believe me, you see much more detail and. Of course, you know, you miss all of Joe Rogan's fantastic commentary when you're there live. Yeah. And there's, you know, it's it's much better just sitting in your living room watching it on pay-per-view, believe me. Yeah. But, I, uh, I, yeah, those were the early days, man. That's how it started. And uh, Senator John McCain quickly became an opponent of this type of fighting. Partly that was pushed by the boxing commissions who saw the UFC as a real threat to their revenues. So they were lobbying with McCain to pass some legislation to ban this type of activity. And indeed, they, they started uh, uh, passing legislation. So it looked like, you know, after only five events, uh, it was going to be the end of it. So at that time, we all pulled our money out of it and Horian sold it to Zufa Entertainment and then it uh, was further developed and eventually ended up in Dana White's capable hands. But, uh, yeah, I wish I would have kept some of that money in there, man. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. So, um, as you said, UFC 1 was the first time, I think, Brazilian jiu-jitsu was put out in front of the wider picture, the wider crowd. I mean, I remember in the first few um, tournaments, the commentators weren't actually sure what they were looking at. And I, and I think, I'm pretty sure it was either two or, th or three or four where um, Hoyce, Hoyce is in a, another match with somebody and they think Hoyce is actually in the bad position. But, um, but then he, he snaps out a triangle. You know, the commentators didn't even know about it. After the first UFC, what effects did that have on you and your club? Well, it's really interesting because um, I had a wrestling pedigree, so I was able to make uh, the blue belt rank. For your listeners, the, the ranks go in adult uh, divisions, blue, purple, brown, and then the black belt. But it could take you 10 years to get that black belt. It's probably one of the hardest martial arts to actually obtain a black belt in. It's it's not like these belt mills, you know, where some of the karate schools are just handing out the, the yeah, black belts. You, you don't do a, just a, a year or two. in every six months. You can do this movement and that <laughs> movement. You're now a step higher. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that was, you know, I did uh, ju Japanese jiu-jitsu when I was growing up. And to be fair, it probably was a little bit like that. But I was only a kid. Yeah, thanks for throwing something at me, <laughs> Seb. Uh, but, you know, I was only a kid and it was great. And it kept me kept me fit and healthy. And, uh, you know, I've, I've learned since then. I've gone back to... Uh, a much tougher Japanese jiu-jitsu school. And it's, they certainly don't give the belts out now, that's for sure. Well, there's certainly nothing wrong with any martial art. I mean, and one of the things that Horian was always quickly to point out, and um, his, his sons now, is that Gracie jiu-jitsu only adds to what you already know. It takes nothing away. So anyone, no matter what martial art, should probably back themselves that should probably, should definitely back themselves up with some ground fighting skills. Yeah. They need to know what to do on the floor. And, uh, and plus, it's, it's very user-friendly. It's something that you can do a well into advanced age. And you still, uh, you still train yourself, obviously. Yeah, oh, for sure. But back to how, how the UFC affected my school. Well, you know, even before the UFC, uh, Jorge and Gracie had written a – uh, an article in Playboy magazine in the United States in which he, he uh, laid out the $100,000 challenge in which 
he was so confident in, in, in Gracie Jiu Jitsu against any other martial art that he would put $100,000 up and take on all, any and all comers. And they, they had to bring their money and they put it in a big pile and you go into the ring or into a room with a locked door and whoever came out took the pile of money. And there was virtually no takers. Everyone was scared out of their mind to actually put it up. And of course, people railed and ranted, oh my God, this is so un-Buddha-like and this isn't in the spirit of martial arts, which is nonsense. If you look at the history of martial arts in both China and Japan, there was always one school invading another school. You look at the great swordsman Musashi, the the guy you know from the Five Rings. Yeah. I mean, he would literally go into fencing schools and 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 ask to fight the instructor to the death. <laughs> I mean, that was some hardcore testing how good your your art is, man. I mean, they, they you know some some of these um, uh, uh, samurai were fighting to the death in sword fights, and you know in jujitsu. You know, one school was always invading the other. Uh, and same thing in, in China, the different karate schools, the different striking styles. There was always uh, uh, challenge matches uh, from, from one school to another. So it's, it's pretty much traditional, these type of matches, to test your prowess and, and, and to test the effectiveness of your martial art. But Horian really set the United States on its heel because there was a lot of fraudulent stuff going on at the time, you know, a lot of a lot of – black belts that couldn't fight their way out of wet paper bags and all of a sudden there was this feisty skinny brazilian guy you know uh here uh challenging them and they're and getting them out of their comfort zone so it was real interesting what that happened to our school we had all sorts of guys wanting to come in and challenge us or or you know they called it uh style comparison it's a really nice way of like wanting to fight <laughs> oh we'd like to Lovely compare to our style compare our style to yours and uh, say well what do you guys do and uh well you know we we kick and punch as well so you want to kick and punch me and 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 see if it works <laughs> <laughs> so we um uh we we accommodated even though we were you know we always said hey look our name isn't gracie we're just students but hey you know what we'll we'll try you on man we did get out of the tripod and set up the camera and um, videotape the stuff. It was the old uh, VHS, you know, videos back yeah. in the day. And uh, so there could be no question about what happened during the match. You know, no one could, you know, claim this or claim that. It would all be videoed so that there was, you know. And there's, it, a, lot be, of, there's a lot of these videos on YouTube as well. I mean, I've sat for hours watching some of these from uh, back in Brazil and back in America as well. Maybe even seen one of yours without knowing it, Steve. Yeah, I mean, who knows what's on on YouTube now? I mean, I had like probably like twenty different videos of myself and my students taking on all different customers from you know all different disciplines, from boxing to Muay Thai to Taekwondo to you know various forms of uh, karate and so forth. Uh, it's occasionally kung fu. The tough guys, the guys that got us nervous, were always the wrestlers. They were the tough guys, man. They, you knew you were going to be in for a tough fight with a wrestler. And uh, judo guys, too. Judo guys could be pretty tough because they were used to grappling. And mm. judo in particular uh, uh, knew how to use the cloth. They weren't afraid to use the uniform and so forth. Uh, the guys we really licked our chops for were the uh, the boxers and the taekwondo guys or karate guys. <laughs> they, were, they were pretty easy. Muay um, <laughs> Thai guys could be kind of tough, you know. But, uh, yeah, for sure. It was uh, it was real interesting times. And uh, – 
as the UFC grew in fame and notoriety, of course, our enrollment game grew also. And, uh, you know, then the UFC went away for a while and uh, that stuff kind of died down. But then uh, it started coming back then. And uh, what was happening was people realized that you needed in order to do mixed martial arts, and a lot of young guys got really attracted to that particular sport, you needed to be proficient in some type of boxing or kickboxing. You certainly needed to know wrestling. Uh, wrestling was probably superior to judo when it comes to a mixed free-for-all type of fight. And you definitely needed to know your jiu-jitsu on the ground. Even if you didn't want to become proficient as a submission expert, you needed to know enough to protect yourself from getting caught in submissions. Mm. Well, then and, uh, the jiu-jitsu element has really, in, in some classic fights, has really changed, um, you know, the tables in a match. I mean, uh, th- there was the fight against Anderson Silva. I, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember who he was fighting. But striking-wise, I think he was in one of the old uh, Japanese K1 events. Um, he was absolutely destroying this guy until he suddenly, the other fella jumps out a, uh, a scissor sweep, ankle lock, or heel, heel hook, and Anderson Silva, done. Yeah. And then so Silva did the same thing to uh, the the wrestler that was pounding him up for four rounds. Yes, the the, the, the guy uh, who was the guy Ch- Ch- uh, Kel- Ch- Channel Sonnen. Yeah, he was uh, pretty much dominated the fight. There was no doubt who was winning. I mean, he wasn't destroying uh, Anderson Silva, but he certainly was putting him on the ground and punishing him. But you know, not enough to kill him or knock him out. But you know, when it all looked lost. Just out of the blue, Anderson Silva pulls out a magnificent triangle submission and defeated him with 30 seconds to go in the fifth round. What other martial art would allow a person to do that? I don't know of any other that that, w- that would. I mean, it's so heartbreaking as well because, I mean, you know, Anderson Silva, one of the greatest uh, mixed martial art fighters. You know, a lot of people say pound for pound, the greatest. I mean... The guy's on an absolute roll, sometimes so confident he's dancing around the ring and teasing his opponents. And for Channel Sonnen to be, you know, he worked very hard and there's a lot of mind games before that, which we know about. Oh, of course. Um, of course. But, you know, he, he put on a performance, as you said, four to five rounds. He was owning and then suddenly in a split second and it, sometimes, it, uh, uh, you know, a submission in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu can take quite a few seconds, or even minutes to build up to. But this just happened and it's so... As an individual, would you think heartbreaking? One of the most beautiful triangles ever. But like I say, I don't know of any other martial art that would allow a guy to do that. And I cannot think of another martial art that would allow a smaller, weaker man to actually have a chance to survive against a much bigger, stronger person. Mm -hmm. I mean, case in point, look at one of the old old K1s where Bob Sapp entered the K1. Uh, Remember that? Bob Sapp. Bob Sapp never even had kickboxing experience. He listed his martial art as NFL for you know, national yeah, football. But people who don't know, Bob Sapp used to be a professional uh, football player, yeah? Yes, and an immensely powerful, strong individual. And he just basically went in the K-1, you know, basically just like slapping guys with just the craziest overhand. He kind of looked like the old uh, Popeye cartoons with Bluto, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, he was just caving guys heads in and he won despite not having any kickboxing experience which indicates that if you're big enough and you're strong enough and you can hit hard enough you know you have you know a smaller guy has no chance yeah but for sure a little guy would have great chance of survival maybe not beating him but at least surviving 
with you know minimal damage. I don't know of any other martial arts that would allow you the chance of survival. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to I, check I some of these of videos out. Definitely. Oh, sounds, we'll uh, a, we'll sounds a, cool. We'll have a YouTube fest after cool. this. Cool, cool. So let's talk about actually then, so as you said, you were Heuss's, uh conditioning coach during the early UFCs. Let's talk about actually working with um, and training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fighters. Um, we spoke to a great guy a few weeks ago, uh, Andrew Reed, and one of the things he says about training these guys is they're broken. Uh, the top class fighters, you know, the top black belts who go around the world competing in all the major games and events, they're broken people. How do you how do you train somebody who is like that, who is in basically held together by technically tape, but still <laughs> able to compete at such at the highest levels? Well, first of all, no one ever said that competing in any sport, whether it be running or triathlons or these obstacle course events or jujitsu or whatever, is healthy. No one ever said that. Yeah, you're always going to get injuries, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, so right off the top, training should prevent injuries, not cause. And people that are hurting themselves during their supplemental training or whatever, they don't know what they're doing. The training should prevent injuries, not cause. So when CrossFit-type gyms, you know, the, you see online sometimes the people literally bragging about the injuries they produced. It's to me, it's a form of insanity. <laughs> it's like, what is wrong? Why would you ever, ever, ever want to be injured and brag about it afterwards? I would feel great shame if I injured myself and or any of my clients. It's a shameful thing. Absolutely. So that being said, training, you never injure yourself. You help prevent injuries. Sports performance. And pushing the most, you know, getting the most out of your body and competing in sports, even at the recreational level, you expect to get hurt. You cannot do, uh, you know, neighborhood soccer games or touch football in America or whatever, even baseball. You're going to get hurt, man. You're going to get hit with a bat. You're going to get hit with a ball. You're going to, like, lose skin from sliding into home base. You know, you're going to hurt yourself uh, at some point doing an obstacle run or something, pull something. That's expected. So no one ever said it's healthy. As a trainer, training fighters who are constantly being injured, it's not so much working the muscles they use. It's working the muscles they do not use to bring balance back to the body. Any activity that you do to the exclusion of others creates in itself all sorts of imbalances. Take, for example, one of the best, highest paid athletes in the world and maybe one of the best known, Tiger Woods. The guys had terrible back problems. Yeah, and it's yeah. mostly because he, you know, golf in itself is extremely imbalanced. You're basically using your torso muscles with a lot of torque on one side only. That's going to create pain. Over time, you cannot create these imbalances without creating suffering pain. So as a coach, as a trainer, I have to bring balance and order back to the body. So that means I have to do some muscle testing and movement screening and see for myself exactly what these muscle imbalances are. And once I discover them, I do my best to bring order and balance back to the body so that the athlete can be out of pain. And it's not, it has nothing to do with waving silly ropes around and smashing sledgehammers into tires and doing an MMA workout. It's just the silliest buggery ever, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I call those workouts not MMA workouts, it's MM gay workouts. 
that's the best thing I've ever heard. That's brilliant. I would love because, as we, as you know, on YouTube there are so many videos of people training for MMA and even superstars themselves, and you see all the ropes and the tires and jumping. And I would just love now to be able to type in MMG and you see somebody actually doing a workout. <laughs> well, there's going to be some uh, some uh, associations uh, that probably take umbrage with that. It was a little joke. You might have upset a few people there. I think. Uh, <laughs> I might have upset a few people. people. Go, <laughs> I, I will say that the head of the Philadelphia Gay and Lesbian uh, uh, Association was one of my best students back in Philadelphia. Really. Brilliant. So, so just, just so people know, um, <laughs> it was just a joke. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the people uh, are, are quick to uh, take uh, umbrage these days. You see, you see oh, people getting in trouble on Twitter all the time, man. Yeah. So. I gotta know, be careful sometimes. Yeah. Anyway, we but, could t- we could, could talk about, as I say, training and jujitsu training for ages, especially with myself. But we've got quite a few questions from some of our listeners. If you're okay to answer some of these, well, uh, just one one last quick mention about when you are training people involved with martial arts in particular, especially uh, uh, mixed martial arts or any grappling sport. It's such a strenuous activity in itself. There's very little energy left over for other stuff. The predominant amount of the training time needs to be spent in the gym perfecting skills. So yeah. you don't want to do anything that prevents the guy from working his skill set. So that means that there's heinous, you know, circuits where you know people are being smashed and crushed with with these really heavy metabolic conditioning workouts. It's the worst way to train somebody for that. Yeah. They're just getting better at doing those type of workouts. That type of Conditioning does not transfer over one iota to the ring or to the mat. Yeah. So if, the, if I mean, if they were going to supplement with anything, would you say it's sort of mobility work stuff like that? Oh, well, general strength training. You can't go wrong. What do I mean by general strength training? Exercises that take almost no skill, mm-hmm. low skill. I mean, it's obvious that if you make a muscle stronger, it's going to be more efficient and able to produce more power, more speed, and be less. Uh, more resistant to injury, so you got you got to do these these uh, general type. Of, I'm talking about pull ups or chin ups or even pull downs, any kind of rowing, any type of chest press or dip, uh, dumbbell. You know, pretty yeah. pretty much you, the non sexy exercises, you know, stuff that you can never make money selling. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your your basic squat, your your basic hinge style deadlift, not like a powerlifting deadlift. You know, and avoid the real explosive type of lifts and so forth. And it's another big, big uh, myth out there. Well, they, they might be, they might be basic, but they're still, you know, they're the best, don't they? For sure. You know, and uh, this this idea that you have to explode and lift fast in the gym to be more fast in the ring is also a misnomer. Lifting weights fast or doing exercises fast is just a really poor way to load those particular movements. And you don't produce nearly as much strength. So getting good at, let's say, throwing a barbell around is not going to make you quicker doing a double eight takedown. Mm-hmm. You'd be much better off doing, you know, uh, slow speed, high tension reps, and then practice being explosive on the mat. Skill specific. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. And again, coming from um, my camp, Carlson Gracie's, we see all the, uh, I mean, we've got a lot of top fighters, sponsored fighters who travel all around the world. Most of their time, is on the mat rather than in the weights room that we've got. Absolutely has to be. You know, there's, that's, that's, that's it. I mean, and it's, it's not complicated. It's not rocket science, you know. And most guys really only need to do supplementary strength training 
once or twice a week. More than that, they're going to burn, man. I mean, it depends. You know, if you're a businessman and you're just doing jujitsu as a hobby, and you know, you get to the mat like twice a week or three times a week, for sure, you can do uh, two twice a week strength training along with your training on the mat. But uh, you know, if you're like a a professional level guy or you know pretty elite, uh, or you do the tournament circuit quite a bit, well, you 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 better save save the juice for for the actual training in the mat, and. You know, every day you want to do your mobility exercises, and there are uh, balancing exercises that you can do that uh, don't take a lot out of the system. You know, for the rotator cuff, the shoulders, uh, the posture of jiu-jitsu guys in particular gets pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's posture building and the posture awareness type exercises that can be, and all these can be worked into uh, the warm up or the cool down, and uh, don't take a lot of time. And uh, you know, there's uh, certain isolated type movement patterns to balance your posture or to compensate for for poor movement patterns that you have and so forth. And they can be done without draining the system too badly. And then some form of general strength training uh, once at the most twice a week for most grapplers. Mega stuff. So, yeah, let's get to some of these questions from our listeners who I'm sure they're going to be really happy to know your answers for them. Uh, We got one from Nick saying, well, this I think this is great coming from yourself. As you said, you've been training for over half a decade. The keys to... Century. Century, sorry. (laughs) Well, half a decade. Half a decade. Five years. Good on you, We're still trying to teach him how to count. Sorry, Steve. Sorry. Half a century. Uh, The keys to longevity in training. And I'll just translate the keys to longevity. Longevity. There we go. I'm still learning to read, Steve. (laughs) Well, one of the things, you you got to pick something you really like, you know? I mean, people aren't going to stick with stuff they don't like. Now, that being said, there also has to be a certain amount of discipline realized, you know? I mean, if we just always did what we like, we would probably just be oversleeping, overeating, having sex with as many different women as possible. And one thing for sure, we probably would never exercise. (laughs) That being said, you know, rational people that realize that in order to keep the, the body healthy and so forth, you, you need to have a, a, a disciplined approach to your, your, your training and to your, your health. So health should be, number one, working your ability to do things. You know, your, some, I hate to use the word function, but your functionality should be number two. And then, of course, the look would be number three. Too many of these young guys are in there for the six-pack abs and the gladiator pecs. Oh, and yeah, the, 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 the baseball mirror, mirror biceps. muscles. Yep. So – you know, work work for health number one, and make yourself as healthy as you possibly can, and that in itself is going to give you longevity. That's going to keep you going for a long time. But if you work backwards for the look, you know, or for just sports performance, you're going to break down. You're going to get injuries. You're going to get sore. You're going to lose your incentive, and then you know you're just going to quit. So I, I've managed. Uh, I, I just see the the connection between my, my health and and so forth. And health is freedom, by the way. You don't want to end up yeah. like grandma or granddad shuffling with a walker or a cane, you know. You know, God bless the, that that uh, that whole generation, that that uh, World War Two and post World War Two generation. But hey, you know, they didn't age so well. You know, yeah. my grandparents looked really bad. They they basically died piece by piece and lingered in a lot of pain for the last couple of decades of their life. I can see my parents going the same way. That's not for me. 
partly because they really didn't take care of their health as much as they should. They chased the material dreams, you know. Mm -hmm. They try to make life better for their kids, and that's you know that's all well and good. But you know you gotta you gotta take time for number one because you're 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 pretty useless to anyone if you lose your health. So that's something that keeps me going. I do not want to allow my health to break down and end up being dependent. I'm a very independent guy. I travel all over the world. Once I would allow myself to lose that health and get broken down and sick, my freedom is gone. You end up in like an old folks home or a wheelchair or yeah. walking around with a cane or a walker. It's not going to happen to this guy. Yeah, well, you especially know? for yourself, uh, you know, being on the road so much, that'd be the last thing you want to do. And, you know, guys, look, if, if I ever do end up in some hospital ward somewhere, you know, connected up, please come on in and pull that damn plug, will you? <laughs> <laughs> we got witnesses to this now. <laughs> so I'll be there. Don't you worry, pal. Pull the plug. <laughs> Mega. So we got another one. I think this is a really good one as well because we've not really spoken about your passion for mobility. So I think here's what's going to answer and explain a bit more to us. Correctives or rehab for mobility after dynamic hip screw? Uh, I'm not sure what he means by dynamic hip screw. I think I was I hoping you did because I had no idea what that. I, meant. I, I think I think I think what he's talking about possibly is uh, the internal external rotation of the upper thigh bone, the femur. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I I do a lot of uh, movements from the frog stretch in the ground. Uh, anyone that doesn't know what the frog stretch is, you're, you're basically with your legs uh, spread eagled out with the knees bent at 90 degrees to take the pressure off the knees. And, uh, you know, you're walking and moving around, and there's ways that you can internally, externally rotate those femurs to kind of loosen up the groin and the hips. The hips and the groin, particularly the adductor muscles, are the most stubborn muscles in the body. Basically, the tightness of the muscles is dictated by the brain and the central nervous system. And because people do sit an awful lot, uh, any unfamiliar position other than the chair uh, is looked at as a threat, and the body overprotects. Uh, with the what we call the stretch reflex, the brain sends out a signal for the muscle to contract. That's why you feel that burning sensation when you go to touch your toes sometimes, because most people aren't used to touching their toes. So you feel the hamstrings heat up and they kind of burn and it really hurts and the the muscles are contracting. That's a stretch reflex. Well, you need to override that by just getting in these various positions, these mobile mobility positions all the time. So one of the things I advocate is rather than sit at a desk when you do your computer work or your laptop work or reading or whatever, lie on the floor, sit on the floor in the various positions like a child would. One of the major differences between adults and children is your comfort on the floor. Most adults are incredibly uncomfortable when on the floor. Yet every kid, you know, they, they're, well, there's a reason why we call them rugrats, you know. <laughs> they're all over the floor, totally comfortable. Yeah, they can fall, bounce right up, uh, up and down. Most adults cannot. Uh, I personally don't think my mother was age 78. I don't think she could get down on the floor and get back up. I mean, I think it would be a huge, major trial for her to do that. What happened to her? I mean, she was a young, beautiful, viable woman. She used to play with her uh, brothers, you know, play baseball and touch football. I can remember her climbing a tree to rescue me one time when I was a little kid pulling me out of there. I mean, what happened to that woman? Well, she forgot how to move. She did so much sitting that she, her nervous system literally shut down any, your nervous system and its efficiency will shut down any pathway that you don't use. 
on a regular basis. Yeah. That means that people that sit at the office all day long uh, pretty much have are, are, are basically suffering a form of uh, nervous system amnesia. They, they lose movement patterns that they don't use on a regular basis. Even if they're lifting weights or running or, you know, doing Pilates or yoga, uh, it's still only an hour out of the day at most, right? Most, yeah. most people don't even do that. That's not going to compensate for 23 hours of sitting, you know? What, what's your body going to adapt to? An hour of training a day, if you even do that, mm-hmm. or pretty much 23 hours of sitting and lying in the car or the table at the desk or lying in bed. It's going to be lying. So in order to compensate for that, you need to move way more than just your workout. You need to make mini workouts all day long, which means get out of the chair, sit on the floor, sit cross-legged, sit with your legs straight in front of you, sit on your feet and your ankles, turn your toes underneath and sit in your heels and stretch out those feet, lie on your sides, lie on your stomach, you know, just like a kid. Yeah, uh, I, I believe that is truly the fountain of youth. That that's the key to remaining young and mobile. Not allowing yourself to just—I mean, if you look, if you notice, really, like old people, they're all stooped and bent over. Their body's kind of in the shape of a chair when they're trying to walk down the street. They, they are—they're yeah. hunched forward. They—they they can't straighten up. It's—it's it's basically a—a uh, a, a chair position. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, you sort of touched on something I want to ask you about, actually, um, which was crawling. You kind of kind of touched on it a little bit there about why crawling, why why you think crawling is so good. And, well, uh, you, obviously, you do that yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, uh, some form of every day. The uh, in fact, I'm pacing around here while I'm talking to you guys right now. I'm holding my iPad in my left hand and uh, just pacing and marching around the uh, this little hotel room here. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I didn't want to be sitting uh, during the, the, the whole interview. Yeah, but, yeah no, uh, well, me and Seb, uh, we always stand up. It feel, feels much better to stand up and do these Yeah, uh, no, these it does. You think, you, think, you think better, too, you know, when you're Definitely. fielding calls and, and so forth. But uh, crawling uh, was one of the – your first locomotion. It was your first uh, – it, it's uh, classified as a, a quadrupedal uh, locomotion. And it has a profound influence on the brain. Uh, one of the big mistakes I think our uh, Western educational system made was sitting kids in chairs and trying to divorce the mind or the brain from the body. Mm-hmm. Movement is to the brain what food is to the body. The brain is nourished through movement. That's how that's how the baby's brain develops. All those sensory nerves in the hands, the feet, the skin, you know, the eyes, the ears, and their movement patterns on the floor rapidly increases the size of the brain. So crawling being the first locomotion, it has a profound effect on re-educating people's bodies and how to move. So an office worker that has pretty much uh, you know, been sitting for many, many years, he needs to re-educate himself by going over his original movement patterns as a child. Some people refer to this as original strength. Mm-hmm. There's actually an awesome book by that title. I, I actually one. bought that book the other day, yeah. and I'm, I'm I, halfway through it. It's fantastic. Tim Anderson has done a fantastic yeah, job, awesome. and his and partner, uh, Jeff Newport. Uh, yeah, I knew and Jeff well, yeah, for years well, the, back the in the old RKC days. And uh, both guys have done a great job, and I highly recommend everyone read it. 
Definitely, and, definitely. And and this is this is a way that you can get your movement patterns back into your body. And rather than doing like these silly animal patterns, you know, like you know primal moves and moving like an animal, it's like it's bullshit. Move like a human. I want to move like a human. You know, and I'm going to move like I did when I was like three to six months old to a year. Yeah. And it's shockingly difficult. You know, uh, you know, it gives you a lot of respect for how strong babies are. Think about just how big that head is. You know, it'd be like if we tied like a a giant weight around our heads, that big old melon that a baby has. Mm-hmm. You know, to and, and just moving that thing develops a tremendous amount of strength in the spine. And think how mobile a baby is, and how flexible the spine in particular is. Yeah. And that gets quickly lost as you become an adult. So the way to regain it is you start acting like a kid again. You start laying and sitting on the floor, you roll over, you crawl, and it's uh, surprisingly uh, quite an excellent workout. The average adult gets tired very, very quickly when crawling, and I I can't say uh, enough good things about it. How do you uh, put this into your schedule if you're already doing a sport like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or MMA? We already talked about how strenuous those things are you can use this some of this stuff as a warm-up you don't have to become like a crawling specialist or anything but you know just a few minutes every day is just uh, warming up just before you start to roll is excellent way to get that brain fired up and functioning again um i i since i don't get a chance to get on the mat for really really long periods of time i found interestingly enough that uh, doing spider-man crawls uh, is an excellent way to maintain your conditioning mm. for when you do get back in the mat. Yeah, that's. I mean, awesome. obviously, my timing and my precision and some of my setups and stuff is off a little bit, but I find that I, I don't get horribly gassed when I'm off the mat for a long time because I'm moving my body around, mm-hmm. you know, forward, backward, sideways. Yeah, and doing these crawling type type workouts, it it keeps you in, in really really good mat condition moving around of course you know rolling over front and back and doing various spinal rocks forward rolls backward rolls it uh, it's a good way to keep yourself uh, pretty well trained when when you are on holiday or vacation or maybe you're nursing an injury that won't allow you to go full bore uh in sparring with your with your partners so yeah i'm a big proponent of uh crawling and i would say that if you really only had time truly to do just one exercise, uh, I would have to say the Spider-Man crawl would be arguably one of the best things you could possibly do for just all-around fitness, health, and uh, strength. Awesome. That and, of course, uh, walking. Fantastic. That's uh, the great tips, great information there. Okay, we've got one more question for you coming from Roger. Um, it says, you preach moderation and consideration while most of the health and fitness industry tends to promote extremes. Was that something you've always believed or was there a watershed moment or particular injury that shaped your outlook or did it just gradually form with time and experience it pretty much gradually formed with time and experience i I did have a couple watershed experiences but at one time i was quite the extremist and uh, a lot of the uh, people out there that are extremists uh, they have something to sell by the way you know i sell nothing i just sell ideas i sell myself and uh, i'm not selling products and uh, so I have nothing to gain by, you know, making any kind of extremist views uh, along those lines. 
But yeah, there was a time I was quite the extremist, and I'll tell you, uh, you don't really start thinking really in in in, in uh, uh, an organized fashion until you reach your sixties. <laughs> I really have to question my judgment on a lot of the things I've done in the past, and you know, I'm even ashamed of some of the things I've done in the past. I mean, it was just silly stuff. And you know, I'm an enthusiast, and I got sucked in. You know, uh, you've heard the term "drink the Kool Aid." Yeah, I was just talking about that. You know, I, I've drank I've drank the Kool Aid a few times. The uh, <laughs> for your listeners that don't understand the reference, there was a cult, a religious cult leader by the name of Jim Jones, who started Jonestown in Guyana in South America, and he had over nine hundred and nine followers who came with him. And there was a lot of abuses, some sexual abuse, and things going on. And the authorities were closing in. And somehow he convinced all his followers to drink cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. The first thing they did, they murdered 300 children. And then the rest drank this Kool-Aid, and they found all these people dead. And it's just amazing that someone can have that kind of mind control. But this is what you're finding in the exercise industry. People are incredibly charismatic, and they are – you know, extremists by nature, which can be very attractive sometimes, you know, especially when people don't have much going on in their lives or they're dissatisfied or they're not finding much fulfillment. And you get a very charismatic person. Maybe a guy looks fantastic, speaks really well, and they get sucked into these crazy ideas. I know I have. You know, I've, I've fallen for some of the Kool-Aid drinking in the past. And, uh, you know, next thing they know, then they're they're uh, they're full bore uh, cultists, so to speak. And I mean, this is pretty big. Yeah. You know, I, I I would I would you know I'm, I've been an outspoken critic of a lot of the CrossFit you know things that are going on there, mm-hmm. and uh, some of these even even uh, jujitsu guys can be a little cultish about the way they they, they go about yeah. their jujitsu. I mean, you know, I've been there. So yeah, I've just learned. Uh, my lessons over the years that, uh, you know, being extreme in any one uh, situation will always end up, always result in tears in one level or another. It's going to end up in pain. And I think that's the help with the kind of social networking because it's everywhere and such a little upload, a quote, something you say or a picture you put could spread to so many thousands of people and people who are maybe looking for something and, and when they see these results pictures before and afters due to this program or dvd and such then obviously they think that is the only way to do it and jump on board um steve this has been a massively insightful chat with you it is a shame we're running out of time but we do want you to come back and talk to us a little bit more definitely um, it's been i would uh, love to go back yeah i mean i really had a good time you guys uh, are some uh, really good good lads and it was a real pleasure. Well, I think absolutely. the pleasure was definitely absolutely ours, Steve. Is there anything you want to say to our listeners before we say goodbye? No, I mean, uh, other than uh, please go to my site. Uh, the website is maxwellsc.com. Maxwell SC for strength and conditioning. Cool. I have a lot of interesting things on there. Uh, please uh, go to my Facebook page and like the page. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram always putting up interesting videos and photos of where I am in the world and things I'm doing. And uh, 
hopefully I'll see you at a uh, workshop or uh, seminar one of these days for the Love folks to, listening. Definitely. Well, when you're back in the UK, Steve, absolutely. We may even drag you into the studio with us as well so you can maybe do some jujitsu on Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's not fair. <laughs> mega step steve it's been fantastic to speak to you and um, i'm sure our listeners are going to really enjoy this steve thank you very much thank you very much steve. thank you guys ah, <laughs> you're right there sir you're gonna swear then we nope <laughs> um, thank you very much to steve maxwell guys really hope you enjoyed that as i said he's a bit of a living legend he's been involved within the fitness industry for Half a century. Yeah. Not a decade. No, no, a not a decade. That wouldn't be very long if it was he's, half a he's decade. He's been involved. He travels all year round. As he said, he hasn't got a house. He's just got a bag with him. And that's real dedication to the cause of his beliefs regarding yeah. health and fitness. Um, amazing. So, Steve, thank you very much. Now, guys, if you did enjoy that, what Steve also did for us is recorded an extra special podcast, which Ooh. is going to be a part, a put, a part <laughs> of the Strength Matters Extra. It's going right. to be a part of the Strength Matters Extra. Um, and you can hear about that. It's part of the bonus features you'll find out about it in september when we also tell you more regarding the strength matters magazine some really really exciting news some exciting features and extras some great extras for those who maybe want to just get some more just get a little bit more a little get, bit more quality information get more yeah. stuff so that's great something else we want to share josh did mention this at the start is a I picture did. that roger put up it's by an individual hold on Jack LaLanne. Jack LaLanne. Now, Jack LaLanne is described as being the American fitness and exercise and nutritional expert and motivational speaker who is sometimes called the godfather of fitness and the first fitness superhero. So this um, is from back in about the 1950s, is that right? Well, yeah. <laughs> Jack was born in... Just dropped my stick. Uh, Jack was born <laughs> in 1914. He unfortunately passed away in 2011. Um, you know, so God bless you, Jack. That's good. good long life there. But the, the picture is basically, it looks like it's a TV show, black and white TV, where he's um, given some sort of most motivational talk, some facts. Behind him, there's obviously a chalkboard with... 1 to 11 written down, and then some other stuff written by the side of it. And it's basically... Um, Nutritional tips, isn't it? Yeah, it's basically got the, what Roger's written is, the amazing Jack LaLanne was educating America about foods to avoid way back in the 1950s, if only the world had listened. Here's a list in the 1950s of things Jack LaLanne says you should be avoiding. White sugar, candy, cake, ice creams, which I disagree on. <laughs> Jams, jellies, cookies, pies, pastries... Most canned fruit, that's that's quite uh, topical at that time, you know, that's only... Very, very topical, because canned fruit had only come out recently, probably, at that time. Yeah, I but I mean, it's only recently the idea of, you know, the What, that being fruit. bad? Yeah. 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 When I say recently, I mean in the last few years, you know. And soda pop. Um, mm. So, you know, 1950s, he was saying that, and yet we and are still, still do the same things these today. causes now. So yeah. that's fantastic. I recommend, guys, maybe looking up Jack LaLanne as well, because that's a great picture. You know, I'm going to stick that up on the blog. Yep, absolutely. We've got one, a blog. I, apparently, well, I write my own <laughs> blogs, but you apparently do. I found out that Kettlebell Fever, we've got a blog. Strength Matters also has a blog. It does. Well. well, we don't like to give you too much information because there's only so much you can handle. Yeah, your, your tiny brain would explode, I wouldn't it? I mean, today. exactly. Um, so. so there you go, <laughs> Moving guys. On. Something else, something else in September. Swing for limbs. Swings for limbs. September the 20th. Saturday. Saturday is yeah. going to be, the main effort is going to be down in the Kettlebell Fever studio, but you can also take part at home. <laughs> take part at home. Um, 
It's going to be starting around 12 o'clock. And again, we're going to give you more information over the next coming podcast, guys. But basically, the idea is, the initial idea is, is how many swings you could do in one hour. Any type of swings, double hand, single hand, and any other versions of a swing you can think of. And you can also work uh, individually or in a team. Oh, Jim's writing something Teamwork. down now. Here we go. Producer writing. Raising money for limb care. So swings for limbs, raising money for limb care. So you said it and you wrote it down. Why didn't you yeah. just say it? Could have just... You are very special. Now go away. God, I hate, I hate you <laughs> both so much. Anyway, that's that, guys. As you just said, thank you very much, Steve Maxwell. Strength Matters Extra Podcasts. Um, the Jack LaLanne, have a look at it. Look him up on Google Google. Um, swings for Limbs. And, and reviews, reviews, please, please, please. Your, keep reviews your reviews on iTunes. The more reviews you give us, guys, it is easier for other people to find us on iTunes to maybe get a hold of some of this great information. We and your and our guests, or mostly the guests, are sharing with you and our community. We are a community, guys. We believe in each other. We trust each other. We want you to join us, and we want to join you. Josh, say goodbye. 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 Thanks for joining us on the Strength Matters podcast. Be sure to check back next week for another exciting episode. For a full breakdown of every show and links to resources mentioned, head on over to our website, www.kettlebellfever.com. Ah!